Welcome to Books and Rhymes, the podcast that makes you fall in love with reading while flipping the script with a musical twist on your favourite books. I invite guests to pair a book with a song or an album that sparks the same emotional connection. Today's episode features one of my favourite authors, Nobuyo Rosashuma, author of the critically acclaimed novel House of Stone. Tweet your thoughts on this episode using the hashtag Books and Rhymes. Follow Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to the mailing list at booksandrhymes.com. Oh my gosh, Novio, I love you oh. and I love your book. Books and Rhymes, aka Sarah, um, it's an honour, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> Just call me Books and Rhymes if it makes you happier. Novio has a habit of calling me Books and Rhymes. We've been, to, we've travelled together. That is who I know you as. It's, yes. it's, it's so cool. In, it's so in London, then we met in Kaduna, we spent oh time in Nigeria. Oh should stop swearing. <laughs> Kaduna, I will clean up my language for the rest of this. Kaduna, Germany. And then Berlin. Nobody, why are we following each other around the world, please? Because you're making books pop. You're making African literature pop, honestly. Ah. Um, honestly. And so, honestly, you know why I really loved or appreciated your review is it was really, for me, the first review that got implicitly so many of the things that the novel was doing, mm-hmm. including that important thing you pointed out that it was really trying to um, be clear about its audience, its first audience. Mm. Um, so, and I know how you picked it up. I was like, damn found me a reader yeah <laughs> so it's house of stone by Nobuyorosa Chuma oh my god so I love how you say that come and get your life house of stone to me is a beautiful novel about about the concretization of history and it is I feel like the way we talk about the past, the way we talk about memorializing the past, how people hold on to the past, I feel like we talk about it in an abstract, ephemeral kind of way. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing that I felt you took me on with House of Stone was that I went on this, it starts off with a, uh, what's the word? A throwback, a recollection of yeah, the past. Yeah. So you're recollecting this man's um, radical political engagement, in the yeah. 70s or the 60s and you had like a black Angela Davis or a oh, yeah. black Angela Davis there. there. And there are so many references of some fantastic radicals in that book Bam. that I found myself taking notes Bam. of them. So you take the reader on this journey through the, in a way, it's the the birth of the Zimbabwean independence. And the crux of the novel is a person who decides to do some things <laughs> to, acqui- to acquire what he perceives to be an inheritance. Mm, mm. So he's trying to use up the inheritance of the legitimate son of the house. That but is inheritance powerful. is memory. That is powerful. And to me, it is how memory then comes alive. How the person is trying to inherit the past they have a motive, but you don't know what the motive is. You're following this journey. Yeah. And the person whose memory sh- is being tapped into, he's, there's a block. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why he doesn't want to break that gap. Yeah. And to me, ev- we talk a lot about remembering. We talk about remembrance. Mm-hmm. But to me, House of Stone was, a f- you paint a very clear and vivid picture of the psychological negative impact of those who remember that constant wound 
that yeah. heals over time. Like yeah. they say, time heals wounds. Yeah. But when you then go to remember, you're pulling back the scab mm. of that wound, mm. and then is then how do you then reheal that wound, even though it happened so long ago? Yeah. Uh, I'm making it sound so dark, but there are so it many is humor dark and sweet though. But it's funny. <laughs> there are some funny humor. <laughs> I feel like we're in a season yeah. where historical fiction. Continental African historical fiction is is the genre. It's so amazing of the time. Yeah, and to me, I feel like what I've observed is that there is a disparity in the who at writes the analysis of the African experience mm -hmm. versus those who write about who fictionalize who fictionalize the African mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. So what I feel House of Stone does is it marries perfectly mm -hmm. analysis and narrative. If you hear the click click, that's not for you. <laughs> like just, so that's just, like just preaching sister. Mm -mm. Okay. I feel like we're in a speakeasy at the moment. <laughs> Books and rhymes. <laughs> Talk us through the process. Like what was the first spark, the first inspirational spark to write this novel? You know, I mean, um, the first spark for me was really, um, it happened gradually. My first questions were, I was living in South Africa at the time. My family had moved there. So we moved there in 2009, not by choice. This was like the height of Zimbabwe's um, meltdown. Um, what do you mean by meltdown? So our inflation rate was like at 1,000.666%, so the highest hyperinflation rate in the world. My mother was a teacher in Zimbabwe, and I remember the months leading up to our leaving, um, her salary, she got paid one month, and then the whole salary was enough to just buy two kgs of chicken at ShopRite. So you couldn't live on just teaching alone. And we, we survived on, I mean, my mom was a hustler. She'd go to <laughs> Botswana, get foodstuffs, come and sell them. We relied on family overseas here in the UK mm. and the US to send money. It was really, really quite a time. And it was hard for me to see that. Growing up with my mom as this middle-class single woman, city woman who, you know, was independent, and to see her go through that was really difficult. So we moved to South Africa. And of course, settling into any country is difficult, and I began to resent being there. And I was just thinking, why am I here? Why am I not over there? Why am I here in South Africa? Why can't I be back at home? Um, so, um, and then I just started reading up about our history, because writing is what I do. Reading is what I do, um, and out of fun. And I'm telling you the things I, I discovered. It's, 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 it's like learning about yourself, getting to know yourself, and it's stuff that's not even in our history books. Mm. Um, and so that was the initial spark. So the, the more I read about Zimbabwe, I enjoyed learning about our people, my, uh, my history. It's, it was so beautiful and enjoyable to me. And that's, that was the, the spark. Well. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Where were you reading about your people and their histories? So, so I was in Edwards University at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I would read books from the library, online articles, anything really that I'd get my hands on. 
um I listened to there was some audio there's some documentaries on YouTube um a bit about the Rhodesian war but a lot about uh, what happened after the genocide so what fascinated me about Rhodesia it was stuff we didn't know in Zimbabwe so I was really growing up I was put off about our liberation war because our government always used to ram it down our throats like you you know especially people like me were born after the war like you don't deserve to speak for Zimbabwe you're born freeze you're sellouts you love western fashion you listen to western music and we fought and it was this one-sided narrative so like the older generation were saying this of the younger generation po- 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 party politics yes okay. so so y- you, I never really grew up feeling a part of Zimbabwe and I was repulsed by that idea because you feel like you don't have a stake in the mm. country so reading up about the Rhodesian war I learned about people who were just like me, ordinary people going through life, um, stories that were not told, men who deserted um, from the liberation war because they were afraid, villagers who felt coerced to help the guerrillas. That complicated relationship between the personal and the national. And then one of the most um, difficult and fascinating things was finding out about an army called the Rhodesian African Rifles. Mm. So this was a black army that was fighting for Rhodesia. And I became fascinated about what that was about. And that's where Abednego... Um, mm. Um, his family was born because his father fights in that war. So uh, for Rhodesia in the book, I was very interested um, in, in House of Stone, the novel, in writing about the stories that we never hear about, mm. um, which become a bit um, subversive in Zimbabwe because, do you know, in Zimbabwe, if you want to access information about the liberation, well, you need permission Oh, what from right, the government. Yeah. yeah. Like if you go to the National Archives to, uh, like, try and find out about the past they want to know who you are what you're doing with it and there's someone who's watching over you as you when you say the past which past the liberation war after the war um that period generally i think stuff that's considered um possibly controversial Hmm. right so it's, it's a very it's a very controlled environment um if you go to the villages um and you, you read this in pa- if you, she read these bones, I was yeah, yeah, Panasha yes, was yes. very brave. So when she goes yes. to the village, that's the exchange yes. of who are you? We have to go get yeah. permission. I sent over you a question. The question is, pick a song or an album that you would pair with House of Stone. And I also asked Novuyo to curate a playlist to go with the book. Mm. Novuyo, I love you. Oh. Seriously, I ah. love you. Mm. Well, I love people who go above and beyond. Did I go above and beyond? Okay, yeah. I like. So one of the listeners, mm. House of Stone is written in three chapters. So you have book one or three books, book mm. one, book two, and book three. Mm. Novoyo provided a soundtrack to each book. <laughs> so book one, you have five songs. Book two, five songs. Book three, five songs. Mm. This is just for a playlist to go with the book. We haven't even gone to the other sections yet. Mm. So... You gave me 15 songs to go with this book. Please mm. pick one song mm-hmm. to you that mm-hmm. encapsulates the whole book. Woo! <laughs> Girlfriend! That is hard. But I, for me, I mean, I think there's no question. Um, Bob Marley's Zimbabwe. Mm. It's, 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 it's at the peak when Zimbabwe became independent. But for me, it encapsulates both the potential and the... <sighs> Trouble that was yet to follow. So soon we'll find out who is the real revolutionary. And I don't want my people to be tricked by mercenaries. Brother, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're so right. We'll have to fight.
going to be a lot of laughter in this episode. <laughs> it's interesting. I think our conversation mirrors what the book is about. Very serious. But very playful Very too. playful because you, you talk about very difficult things in a way that the audience does not leave traumatized. Mm. You you cushion the audiences. You give us... You're like Zamani. That's what I said. You're Shit! Like Zamani. Zamani. In a good way. I thank you. You're like Zamani in a good way. You're mm-hmm. feeding us mm-hmm. um, the... I'm trying to find the quote of what I said. You're fitting us a sweet next nectars. You know, you're making it I so you're making the quote. difficult things so difficult for us to like for us to you're making the difficult things easier for us to consume. They need to record our a video of us in the studio because this I is know, just right? fun. We're just like, you know, yeah. and, and I'm moving my hands and yeah, I'm, like, and I'm, <laughs> <bumping>. <laughs> I'm feeling <laughs> it. I'm bumping while I'm moving my hand. No, but that's what you do. You mm. make a very difficult subject so palatable, mm. so easily digestible, mm. so sweet mm. with an aftertaste that leaves you thinking afterwards thank you wow. you know so you said bob marley's zimbabwe mm. is a song that you paired with it how did you come across this song man so i was doing research so i was in my early 20s then i find out bob marley sang at the zimbabwe independent celebration I'm like what the hell so i had to look for the song so i went and i found it on youtube you can even see the video it's not a it's a scratch video but it's there and it was so iconic to me listening to that. Because, um, um, you know, Bob Marley's uh, music used to... S- I grew up, lis- li- we grew up listening to it. You know, my mother, my uncles yeah. loved that song. Yeah. And I'm going to pull up the lyrics to Bob. Do you remember the lyrics of the song? Or you nothing, just nothing, nothing. Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> Zimbabwe. <laughs> Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> podcast where authors come and sing along (laughs) so there's one of the lyrics that goes to divide and rule could only tear us apart Mm. in every man's chest there beats a heart Mm. so soon we'll find out who is a real revolutionary Mm. and i don't want my people to be tricked by mercenaries Mm. it's like he was foreshadowing the future because the future in this case is the Gukurahundi oh, massacre. Books and rhymes, yeah. Um, so one of the things, I, I, I love how this novel is so expensive, but I'm always frustrated how in, in many spaces it's just reduced to Gukurahundi. And I deliberately didn't want that to be the case. Mm. I really wanted it to be expensive. But to have the genocide at the center, because it is the wound that's not healed that mm. you're talking about and around which there are other scabs. So yeah, Kukurahundi for me is what changed the structure of the novel. So initially I had the family, Abednego, Agnes, and Vukosi, the family that Zamani lives with. And then I started reading up about Kukurahundi. And this is interesting, uh, Sarah. I had read um, about the genocide before. Um, so I'd read the Catholic Church Commission reports, which it's available online, PDF. But I think it's also about being ready to receive. Maybe it was the space I was in. It was really harrowing for, harrowing for me reading it now with this sort of intense eye this glaring eye and um so i then i realized it hit me my mother was a teenager during the liberation war she was in her early 20s 21 when the genocide started and it was fascinating so i had to ask her and i was i don't know i was so detached or i didn't really think about it um and because when i'd asked about the liberation war she'd been so happy and willing to share um i just asked her in a very casual too casual manner about the genocide it was in the evening she was cooking stirring a pot mm. and we're chilling them like yeah how's your day how's it going tell me about the genocide even i'm shocked yeah i mean yeah i was young i was 25 but she froze and she got upset and she wouldn't tell me she's like i'll tell you another time and i kept pressing until she snapped at me and then she walked out of the room 
and I felt there that there was something emotionally happening there. Um, and for me, that emotional and psychological um, trauma, the way that she was still affected and shocked at all these years later, um, made me think about history not just as something that's past, but as something that's living and breathing and that morphs, right? So history um, as a cr chronological history versus emotional history, right, mm. which is very present. And this is where Zamani was born. And so you were talking earlier about scabs, you know, there are scabs that open and what do you do with wounds that haven't healed? And um, so for me, the idea of, of going back to the past is something painful and not always um, cathartic for the characters. I think it's because of Zimbabwe is a space. I I mean, man, our <laughs> ZANU PF. I mean, our government they weaponized, they weaponized history. This history was being weaponized left, right, and center. Um, Rhodesia weaponized Zimbabwe's own history as well, Afri Black Africans' history. So you have this long sort of lineage of history um, being used, wielded as a tool, whether to help and history. It can be positive. I don't think weaponizing history is negative. Mm. During the Liberation War, history was weaponized to rally people into fighting for their freedom, mm. right? But history can also be weaponized to um, incarcerate people, um, trap them in a, in a world and a reality. And so that was what I wanted to grapple with. And it's very difficult. I, I really also want us to appreciate that ZANU-PF, the current government, they were liberation heroes. They fought, you know, they corralled along with ZAPU, um, their um, partner party. So they have a, an important and crucial <coughs> role to play in our history. So it was really hard trying to navigate that. How do you bring that sort of complexity, but also um, also talk about the, the painful, difficult things that happen afterwards. But also importantly, how do you not make them politics the center of the novel? Because growing up, politics was the center of our world. It displaced us. We were we were not important outside of politics. Right? We were there to serve politics. What does that mean? I mean, uh, so books and rhymes you'd have um, during election time, the vice president coming on TV and more democracy saying, whoever votes for the opposition is voting for war. Um, whoever doesn't vote for ZANU-PF is a traitor. Born freeze. And there's a people like, you know, born after the war. What do you know? You have no say in this country. You're betraying it. You love Western music. You listen to Western songs. You're lost. Right, so it was always being berated, right, and made to understand that um, you really had no place or say within uh, Zimbabwe as a space beyond following, you know, towing the line, as it were. This is still connected to the point you made previously. I asked you to pick a book or a story that inspired House of Stone and paired with the Songran album. And our dear, very lovely Navuyo who's just fantastic. I think you're a bit of a rebel, just like me. You paint outside the box. I love you know? that. Oh, I love um, that. So, <laughs> Novio's response is, and I quote, the idea of Zimbabwe and all it stands for, revolutionary struggle, an assertion of humanity, reckoning with the legacy of Rhodesia, the pursuit of reinvention, the joy and pain of, of discovery, love, loss, yearning, dreaming. Ooh. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talk me through this. Like, you've already talk, talked about, um, I asked you this question about mm. the inspiration. Yes. So when I asked this question, I was thinking, okay, is there a book? But you've already talked that there is an idea. There mm. is, you know, it was just your research. Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, that's a lot. And it's because I, I think I'm really, um, and this comes, I think, from, the idea of African fiction okay. in America and the US, that's always boxed in. So I, 
the idea of painting outside the box, just I think those descriptions are me trying not to be boxed into one certain like it's about politics, about history. And also I think the the, the little discovery, self invention, love, loss, yearning are ordinary things, people things, aspirations. So I, I besides the big ideas, I really also wanted to zone into the small but small, sm- ordinary lives being lived during extraordinary times and what that was. So give an example of, aside from your research, mm-hmm. which you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. something that, an anecdote mm-hmm. that represents any one of these sections that you saw and you so were like, let's do this. <laughs> so for example, there's Tandy, Zimbabwe's Angela Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, she's this young, vibrant, um, very commanding woman who works at an sh- at a, at a Indian shop in uh, downtown Zimbabwe selling all sorts of miscellaneous goods, right? She's an ordinary person. Mm-hmm. She's also involved in revolutionary activity. And Abednego, who's a country boy who moves to the city to find work, meets her and falls in love with her. And through her, he is drawn into revolutionary activity, right? So, for me, you have this person, you have this woman. She's not you know, a big figure in the Revolutionary War. She's not, she doesn't have a war hero's name. She participates in the war in a very oblique way. Um, but she's, she's captured in this time. Um, living life, falling in love. Rather, Benigo falls in love with her. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Dealing with uh, problems of, you know, being young, um, living in a segregated time in Rhodesia, being a woman, discovering she's pregnant, what that's about, um, growing up, because she's very young, she's around 18, 19, right? And she, she I, I think the war does force her to grow up because um, she ends up in a refugee camp and, and not to give a lot away. Mm. So, so that's what I'm talking about, um, those little, those characters, characters who are not your big name. And this is because Zimbabwe is a history of big men, right? Mm. Um, mm, so it's quite subversive. Your yeah. decision to do that is very subversive. Yes. Um, and... You were asked to prepare a song or an album. Once again, our very lovely darling Navuyo <laughs> gave us. <laughs> 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 Navuyo has just seen the list of songs she picked <laughs> and just laughing because once again, she gave us playlists <laughs> to go with each book. So it seems like five is a magic number. You gave us five songs per book. Wow. <laughs> per book. I like the way she, she's like showing me like as if you did this. <laughs> Stop looking shocked. <laughs> So listeners, I can't stress enough how and why you should go and listen to the playlist. The playlist is a very Zimbabwean playlist. Yeah, the second one is very Zimbabwean. Very Zimbabwean playlist. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. pick one song that of this 15, mm-hmm. pick one song that encapsulates your the story or book that inspired House of Stone. Oh, wow. That is hard. I'm going to choose one here that's a bit... Um, so I'll choose um, Danger Zone by Thomas Mafuma.
Thomas Fomo is a very big um, Zimbabwean writer um, who's also known for subversive. Writer or singer? Singer. He's an artist, poetry, <laughs> you know. He wrote the songs, he performs them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's on the Bob Marley tip, sort of. Oh. The type of music he's into, and he sings mostly in Shona. Oh. Okay. And some of his um, music has been banned in Zimbabwe. I feel like I should have chosen a younger person no, no, here. No, no, no. You've said his music is banned. Go on, please. Yeah, yeah, as what in his music during the Mugabe era, because he sang these subversive songs. Was he overtly critical of the government? And yeah, and I think beyond the government, just of the, the, the politics, their revolutionary politics and how corrupted they became about life in Zimbabwe, ordinary Zimbabweans and the things they were going through, right? So it's very um, polemic art, right? Art that's rooted in a space and rises out of that everyday space. Um, and I think that's the most sort of subversive sort of music, right? Because one thing that I found was... Mm. In putting together the playlist, mm -hmm. a lot of the songs are not available on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Uh, YouTube, they'll be, they should be yeah, available there. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm a YouTube girl. Yeah. So I recognize, and also, I recognize that it also goes into, this speaks to consumption mm -hmm. and availability mm -hmm. of, the availability of the creative works mm. of people on the continent yeah. to those in the diaspora. Yeah. And this disconnection, so you're displaced or some are, you know, on uh, on exile. Yes, yes. Choice exile as a result of choice or an enforced exile. Yes. You know. um, and so when you're exiled, how do you then connect, connect with home? home? It's so fascinating you say that because when I got to Iowa City and I found myself suddenly cut off from my language. Because when you're in South Africa, Zulu and Kosa are similar to Ndebele. I, s I went into this thing where I couldn't, I would start playing Ndebele music, but like the kind of music your parents had listened to that you thought you were too cool for as a teenager <laughs> as a way to sort of try and connect. <laughs> yeah. So that is fascinating that you bring yeah. that up. So there's a wonderful, wonderful playlist. And I really do feel like Univoyo has spent a lot of time curating this playlist. What was the motivation behind it, behind spending so much time, time and effort curating this? I, mean, I You know, when you asked me to pair songs with a book uh, i was a bit like oh i'm not a song person like no but i'm a song person but then it was it became uh, such an enjoyable project and also interestingly a way of meditating for me if i'm honest me thinking about the book in a different form it's like translating art forms which is refreshing which is different so i just found myself really enjoying it and thinking deeply about the different sections and how so it's interesting so the songs that you'd begin with Mm -hmm. Say for book one, and they're different from each. So, so you know, so the, the second section starts with Rhodesians never die. Anymore. Here's a story of Rhodesia, a land of fair and great. On the 11th of November, an independent state. This was much against the wishes of certain governments. Whose leaders tried to break us down and make us all repent But we're all Rhodesians and we'll fight through thick and thin We'll keep our land a free land from the enemy coming in We'll keep them north of the Zambezi to let rivers run and dry And this mighty land will prosper for Rhodesians never die 
Rhodesian patriotic song, national anthem. Oh my God, the racism in that shit. But it was impo- for me, it encapsulates Rhodesia and that legacy. So and and so how it's curated, seriously, is where you where you start the the first song for me. It's it's the beginning of the book and, and that movement. And then the last song, saying book one, um, it fits perfectly with how that book that section ends, right? So if readers want to think about it that way. And, and then I love the way that it's eclectic. So we have everything from the old guard to the young singers. And of course here, what's love got to do with it? Can I turn it? Stand, the touch of your hand makes my thoughts react. That it's only the thrill of bonding girl while possess a trap. It's physical. It's referenced in the book, right? If you remember Agnes, um, a bit Negro, right? When then the city catches Agnes busy dancing. <laughs> What's love got to do? Got to do with it? Woo! And <laughs> you know she's she's getting down. So so it talks to that. It talks to those. And then we have South African house music. I love the yeah, you know. Right. So there's everything. Oh my god! This is I've Beyonce in one of the playlists. I've oh. Drake because I was like you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Drake, Drake is in the song is selected for book two yes. when I asked his curator playlist to the song. Mm. And it also referenced Aboki by Ice Aboki. During my early 20s in South Africa, na- that's when Nigerian music began to uh, take a hit in the clubs. That's all they would be playing, you know? So <laughs> Afrobeat. Yeah. Wow. It was like some really hot music. Um, it's really cosmopolitan. Mm. So, yeah. I asked you, so the third one, I feel like the second and the third category are kind of like linked together. Yes. Um, yes. So I asked you to pick a historical or contemporary or revolutionary book on Zimbabwean history and the song or album that you would pair it with. You picked House of Hunger Ooh. by Dambuzo Maritera. Um, <laughs> did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, you did. Rap, rap, rap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My sister. <laughs> by Dambuzo Maritera. And the album is The Best of Black President by Felakuti. Naija. Naija. Zimbabwe. Hello, let's communicate. <laughs> <laughs> songs like Fela Kuti's and the Bomali's, that era, it was really continental, the spirit, the revolutionary, the speaking to even, I mean, Fela sings in Pigeon mm-hmm. but the beat and when he's ah, and the ladies in the background ah, it's, like, yeah, <laughs> ah, it's, it's got that revolutionary yes. flavor and for me it really reflects the revolutionary experimentalism of House of Hunger. Yes, so tell us about House of Hunger. So this book is it is an intense assault on the senses, books and on the language. The language is violent. Mm. It, f- it feels it's like a psychological 
onslaught that um, elicits a physical reaction. Mm. I mean, and I've just opened a random page. I'll just read a little sentence. It says, the old man died beneath the wheels of the 20th century. There was nothing left but stains, blood stains and fragments of flesh when the whole length of it was through with eating him. It's just one sentence there. And so he's very imagistic and he was very rebellious. This was in the this book was published in 1979. It was when nationalism was rising. The idea of the national novel, the socialist novel was a big thing in Zimbabwe and Maricha was doing his own thing. This book critiques nationalism in Zimbabwe. It's ahead of its time, right? So it looked beyond independence, right? And it's this metaphoric discussion about that. It's also about Maricha's own life. It's an autobiographical novel. And he was ridiculed. The book was banned. He was not one of the popular writers during at that time. Mm. Interestingly, in Zimbabwe, mm. though he was popular elsewhere for his antics. But right now, there's been a rise. There's a cult around Marichur in Zimbabwe mm. because mm. he's seen as a prophet. He prophesied these times. So that's what I love about this book. It's reckless. It's subversive, stylistically, uh, content-wise. Um, it's very free. You cannot pin it down. And um, if you ask me about the story, I cannot pin down a straight story here, but I can tell when, when, you fi when I finished reading this book, it just left me feeling emotional, creeped out, sort of uh, having been assaulted, right, on a psychological and even physical level. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. Speaking of reception, how much of it dumbles of Marichero, how, um, House of Hunger. It's interesting, House of Stone. House, House of, of Hunger. hunger. <laughs> yeah. You know, mm. how um, House of Hunger was not well received mm. in Zimbabwe at mm. the time when it was published. Mm. How is not, I know that House of Stone has been received, just the reception is mad. Never you. Yes. I'm going to be tapping you for some dough because you're winning all the awards. <laughs> <laughs> She's like... If you listen to her love song, it's like, ha, 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 What the? You wish. <laughs> Listeners, B and R tripping right now. I'm African, I share <sighs> the love. House of Stone has received critical acclaim mm. globally. Um, people who read it, well, pe I think that people, for me, I yeah. think if you read the novel closely, there's mm. so many merits to it. How has it been received in Zimbabwe? It's interesting. So in Zimbabwe, um, first of all, it's not available available in Zimbabwe because I couldn't find a local publisher because of something in the book, which is crazy. Well, my dream was when it came out in the US June 2018, I wanted a Zimbabwean edition to come out at the same time because I wanted the the two editions to be in conversation with each other, right? The idea of it's being read in a certain way. The side, people at home also read it and we get to see how they're reading it. But when we sent it out, um, and we have two, there are two publishers in Zimbabwe, like two. Big publishers. Yeah, or two, uh, yeah, two main publishers okay. because of the industry. Um, and then I was told that uh, one publisher told me about printing costs, but they did go on and publish another book, Tsitsitanga Rimba's book. Right Is it this morning about Yes. But the other publisher told me, um, straight up, they're like, you know, we've published subversive stuff before, but there's a particular character in the novel uh, black jesus and they're oh. like they're like oh everyone knows who he is and then he's depicted in the book doing very specific things and they didn't want to be sued and then they said it's a bit you know some of the content is just it's as if it's too 
So you, you've it moved from the subversive to the obvious uh, the, as far as they were concerned. Yeah, like it moves, it's just too aggressive and it, ma- it mentions names or even if it's not real names that people locally will know. Ah, so and it's also... You, like um, it could be sued. Like so it's also satirical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Satire was one of the modes I was actively using. Mm. So I was sad. I was so sad. Um, but, but I did go and launch the book in December 2018. I talked to my publisher, got a discount, went home. So Books and Rhymes, so in Wulawayo, where I'm from, Matavililand, where the genocide happened, it was seen as a distinctly Ndebele book. So I'd have um, Ndebele people read the book and they're like, oh my gosh, this book is talking to me. You can mm. tell it's addressing me. There are a lot of Ndebele words. Mm. And that's, of course, in, re- in, 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 in response to Sean ethnicity is dominant in Zimbabwe, about 82%. And it's, uh, it's the history of the genocide and feeling marginalized. And so when that happened... Some of my Shona, some of the Shona people in the audience during my launch are like, well, if you're writing to the Ndebelis, what about us? Mm. And of course, my response is it's just like if a white person said, if you're writing about black people, it's like, if you learn to see yourself in others, right? Read the book, mm. and it's about people. And then in Harare, I went to launch it in Harare, and an interesting thing happened in Harare. They pretend they act the genocide was not alluded to, it was as if it wasn't in the book. <laughs> Thinking of it now, it's very obvious. Mm. Black Jesus is very real. Is it obvious that he's real? He well, is real. Me, no, he seemed, is. To he me, is. it seems yeah. very real. It yes. seems like you're writing about a particular person exactly. and it's a particular character. Exactly. In the, it was very, it was, it was like, okay, this is a person. Yes. It's a historical figure. Exactly. Um, so I don't know enough about the history to say mm-hmm. that this is the person, mm-hmm. but it felt very, very real. Yes. Um, so my question then is, Hmm. What is it? What is it that motivated you to write Ndebele people into this book? Mm -hmm. And talk to us about the the Zimbabwean cultural landscape. And because I find ethnicity and tribe, I find them quite offensive. Because I find tribe very reductive. I use tribe, and I was taught use ethnicity. Now, what do we use now? I think I think tribe is well tribe as. To refer I, for me to mm-hmm. refer to ourselves as yeah, tribe, tribe feels is quite reductive yes. because you never say Mancunian tribe or the yes. Birmingham tribe or the Alabama tribe. The ethnicity. You know? So I say people, oh, people. or cultures. Okay. Um, that's me. Okay. That's my politics. Mm-hmm. You know, but people, let me know if you agree. Hashtag books and rhymes. You're chatting trash. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what is it in particular mm-hmm. that made it important to you mm-hmm. to write the Ndebele people in? in whilst not paying the same attention mm-hmm. to the contemporaries? What is it to the Shona that? The Shona people, what is it? Okay, so awesome. So uh, first of all, I'm Debele, so uh, ah. it was... <laughs> so no, no, so, uh, seriously, so it would have... It, it just... Um, I grew up in Matewele land, I'm Debele, so that made sense. But also, um, sh- so, so the history of Zimbabwe is... So sh- the Shona people make up about 82% of Zimbabwe. Then Debele make up about 17%. The remaining 1% are other smaller groups of people. But again, identity is complex. The way the two the two groups became ossified was British colonialism. There was nothing like Shona before the British came. Then Debele were not what you'd call a tribal ethnicity. They were nation, right? And so it's, it's really identity is complex. But this is where we find ourselves. And the genocide, and I, it's, I'm happy you've asked this important question. So the genocide happened in Matevele land and Manika land. And it's interesting in parts of Mashona land, but it, a lot of it took place in, Mandev- in Matevele land and Manika land. And it was carried out by a special um, armed force that was trained by North Korea. 
for Robert Mugabe, answered only to Mugabe and his small cabal. Um, our current president was part of that cabal, Nangwagwa. Um, so he, 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 yeah, the generals in, in power were also part of that cabal, right? And they were Shona speaking. And they went to Matevile land and Manika land and they would speak to the people there in Shona mm. and denigrate them and tell them this is, this is reparations for what your people did to us in the 19th century, right, before the British came. And then they would force them to <sighs> dig graves, um, put their loved ones in who'd been shot there, bury them, and then start dancing on the graves and singing praises to Mugabe and Shona. So that was the trauma. Mm. And then that moment is very important because it's been so confused in Zimbabwe. And I, when I was reading up about it, two things stuck out to me. It was, of course, tr the trauma on the people who this was being done to, but it was also a, it was a, an act of a cultural, like genocide, uh, you know, disparaging of a culture. Shona is a language, so Kukurahundi used to mean something positive. It's like the what farmers. So it's the early rain that washes the chaff before the spring rains. It's very sinister when you think of what happened in Matebele land. But before it was used when farmers are looking forward to the early rains, to planting, to plowing their fields. Very positive, right? Time of rejuvenation of the rainy season. So culturally, because it wasn't uh, unlike say the Rwanda genocide, and I, I you know, it in discourses always like. Cleansing, shone against Debele. That's not what happened at the time. It was a small group of soldiers, um, and they, if the Shona voice is missing from the discourse right now, but um, I was actually at a at a workshop recently where I was speaking to some Shona people. If you hear what happened in parts of Mashonaland at the time, that's you realize how wide scale the, the Kukurahundi was and how it affected all of us as people, the state versus the people. That's how I like to think of it. Mm -hmm. So now. Because that happened, right, and there was a unity court in 1987, but nothing happened to the victims. So we have this thing in Zimbabwe, it's like, and it happened in 1980, and maybe it was necessary at the time of, okay, we're, set, we're, start, we're resetting. So this, from 1980 we'll forget what happened in the past. So in 1987, it was the same thing. Like, we'll forget what has happened in the past few years. Those victims were then forgotten. So you, f literally, you could not say... If your parent died from Njunku Grundi, uh, the disrespect say maybe died from head injuries. You could not say what had happened. You mm -hmm. could not speak what had happened about what had happened to you. It was erased. So that was a problem. So people in Matilden have felt marginalized in Zimbabwe, ignored in the politics. Zimbabwe is like it's like the shonification and zanification of Zimbabwe. It's a very sort of terrible sort of legacy that Mugabe left among his other potentially great legacies. So so that's the context that this work is coming out from. And for me, it was very important to write this from a Ndebele perspective because it is a way for me of asserting. It's saying Ndebele history is Zimbabwean history. Mm. We are part of Zimbabwe, right? That was a sort of radical premise. To not think of Zimbabwe as just being about the majority people, but as everyone, minority people also having a say in, in shaping Zimbabwe. So, yeah, so y this is the context. So, I mean, we're in December and I'm having these young men um males especially saying thank you for giving us names thank you for writing about us you know and there was the intention with some of the shona male or males who have say my mother's shona my ma my father's ndevele who are now asking about you know why should we talk about identity um in zimbabwe so that was the that's the history normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In Harare, Harare is, sh- is, is like, it's in Mashona land. Mm. And because after the genocide, it's been so much confusion, um, Sarah, where it's now seen as a Shona versus Ndebele thing. I do not know when this narrative began. It began after the fact. It's so bad that when I was giving a talk at Oxford uh, earlier this month, this girl, she's like 22, and she says, I have your book, she's Shona, and I'm so afraid to read it because I'm ashamed of what we did to the Ndebeles. And it's, you know, it broke my heart. It's like, you didn't do anything to the Ndebeles. Mm. It wasn't you, right? So there's just so much myth mm. making that's become solidified. So in Harare, where I think this conversation will be most fruitful, People alighted over it. They just said, Kukurahund is controversial. Literally, that's what was said. Kukurahund is controversial. They moved on to other things in the novel. Now, it was refreshing because the novel, I was able to talk, we were able to look at other things in the novel because it's not just the genocide. But then it hit me. I was like, oh my goodness, we are not going to talk about this thing. And I didn't push it. Mm. And then in the, st- surprising, the state newspaper um, talked about the book, but more about me, didn't mention the genocide whatsoever. They're like, this young author has a new book. And to be honest, I think it also has to do with being a woman mm. in a very patriarchal society. I felt, um, even in Mlaya, there's a sort of almost patronizing, there's a respect, but an almost patronizing, even if it's not inten- well-intentioned, where uh, we're talking about the serious thing, about the genocide, and then all that. Mostly you hear after the fact, oh, you look nice, you <laughs> look pretty, you look beautiful. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I, maybe I do, but can we, you know, we was just, can we, can we go back and talk <laughs> about the serious thing? So yeah. it felt a bit infantilizing. And I wonder if um, that's happening um, because of my being a woman and also because at the time the book really wasn't available. But I mean, what's yeah. Do you think that the, to use a word, the um, Shona people in Harare, the decision to elide, is it elide? Mm-hmm. Um, over the Kukurahundi, do you think is a coping strategy? I say that because in the novel, there's a par- clear parallel here between Zamani, who wants to unlock that memory in Abednego, and Abednego who does not want to remember. That is powerful. And so, and also relating it back to the young girl, mm-hmm. the young woman, I beg your pardon, mm. in Oxford, mm. feeling this inherited shame, mm-hmm. even though it's not related or directed to her. Mm-hmm. And she's 
all the way in the diaspora, mm. feeling that way. So imagine how people in Shona land would feel. That is so profound. That is so profound, Sarah. Um, you know, so Zimbabwe is like this um, Orwellian landscape. I'm saying that because I, for me, I, it's, it's a mixture. I think it's, it's, it's both in a genuine level of shame. At another level, they are just, there's a lot of denialists about the genocide. And you never know who's who in a space. We live in a very dystopian times. Um, I w- I dystopian in what context? I have a friend recently. I won't. I don't need to mention. They were just doing a research pro- project that they started. Black, black Zimbabwean, and they say, <laughs> and this is like about a year ago. They were in Harare, and then a red car comes by the traffic lights and they roll down the window. They're like, "Who's sponsoring you? Which white person are you working for? Who sent you?" What? <laughs> just send me i'm just doing my own work and then the window wound up and then the cost okay. how long had they been in zimbabwe doing the work did they come from abroad to do the work or they're they based abroad but i think they were visiting but they're ba- they are like they grew up in zimbabwe but it's to show we you know there's uh, if you think about the people in power right now there's the old guard who lived especially in the cold war times who still have that mentality so i have a few friends who say when they go to the they've been to the national archives to look and um, so you have a guard, someone hovering over you, watching what you're, what you're reading. And then a friend of mine says when they went back, the thing they'd been looking at was no longer there. Right? So we, Zimbabwe, it's like we're caught. There's this, I think, uh, so I'm, I'm giving you context so that you understand the sort of landscape that we're in. And we're sort of, I think, trying to transition into the current era we're in. So there's, the th- I think, that sort of Cold War, Liberation War sort of mentality, politics of enemies, sellouts, that's genuinely... I don't know, alive in Zimbabwe, but then, uh, then there's ordinary people just trying to do work. So I'm giving that context because in, so in that crowd, you, it's, it's, it's really weird. So you never know who's genuinely feeling shame or who's there as a denialist, who's there trying to see you as, you know, mm. this young girl who's just from the USA, who's here? Are you here to start trouble? Are you being funded by the West, which mm. is a big thing at home, right? It is such a complicated space. Um, but I didn't pursue it. I, I left it as it was. Um, because uh, in Wulayo, the book was seen as a Gugurandi novel. Not in a positive way, in a reductive way. I people thought I was preaching a message. Okay. Especially because I'm Debele. Yeah. And I have a friend who, two friends actually, who read the book. And afterwards, they're like, oh, I'm surprised. Like, it's a novel. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was like going to be, <laughs> you know, like proselytizing about the genocide. It's like, no, it's, it's a fictional novel. Yeah. It's about people. It's it's not t- trying to send you a didactic message, which is yeah. bad for fiction, I think. Yeah. I want to go back to the point you raised. Um, you mentioned about um, conducting research, state surveillance, mm. and in a way, it's almost like the people who go to do research mm. are alert in the state as to what to erase mm. from the past inadvertently yes. without n- knowing that that's what they're doing. Yes. When House of Stone was launched at Africa Rights last year, there was another novel that was launched. You mentioned it previously, Panasi Chigumatsu's These Bones, These Bones Will Rise, Rise Again. Again. My Lord have mercy. So your book, um, so obviously I read that book to review it yes. as part of you know, my, yes. my partnership with Africa Rights. Yes. And so I read this, um, These Bones Will Rise Again. No, I read um, House of Stone by Nobuyo Chuma. Yes. And after reading it, I read These Bones Will Rise Again. I was like, well, <laughs> and readers, um, listeners, let me explain. So the premise of House of Stone is that a couple, Abednego and Agnes, have a son, Bukosi. Bukosi disappears. We don't know how or why he goes missing. We have an idea as to 
how we suspect that someone may have been involved mm. in his disappearance but we're not sure whether or not that person is involved mm. but anywho because he goes missing and before because he goes missing he has been trying to get his father to tell him about the past we don't know yes. what the past is yes. but which particular past he's trying to get the father to tell him about yes. and then Zaman is like oh yeah you, if your parents are not going to tell you about the past find out about yourself and then I read These Bones Will Rise Again by Panasha Chikomatsu and These Bones Will Rise Again I felt like it was Bukosi telling me his story. Oh, that is that is beautiful. Bukosi leaves House of Stone to go and write his own book, These Bones Will Rise Again. Channeling. He's just, you know, because it's like, these people aren't going to tell me what I need. Like Zamani says, you know, go and meet these people. They will tell you. He meets one person, then it goes down a different a loop. Mm -hmm. Through this, in House of Stone, he mm -hmm. meets a person and he discovers a whole new world, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. With These Bones Will Rise Again, Panache. She starts from her grand great grandmother. Yes, and then down to her grandmother. Grand down to her grandmother. She's going through the generations, through it's pictures, amazing. through oral literature. She's using different mediums to piece together the past. Yes. So yeah, please talk to me. <laughs> That's gorgeous. I mean, you know, um, I mean, um, so when I read, because when I read these books, I'm like, damn. I saw, we saw I saw the links. We were reading our books at the same time, Panache, in, 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 in preparation for Africa Rides. But I, I know Panache from way back because we were in university together. She was studying accounting. I was doing economics. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we were both lost. So Believe. <laughs> Go on. And so I, it was really, an, a really, I think, special moment for me to read these bones and find out that whilst I was grappling with House of Stone, she was grappling with this project. And it's so interesting because, so these bones, and this is where time becomes, time is, is really not a, a, uh, an accurate sort of understanding of what's happening. Because so she says she wrote that book in like four months. And then when I read it, it's like, you can tell she's just been percolating in this woman's mind for years. Like the, the live, and I love that. You see the, it's like, this is now the Layers. thoughts, years and years of work, thinking, it's so interwoven and complex and beautiful. It's like meditative. It's philosophical. So I really loved that. And I was like, I wish I could write nonfiction like this. Mm. Um, so it's, 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 I feel like these two books, uh, uh, they're great read together mm -hmm. because they, they, they give different sort of pictures, pieces of Zimbabwe at different times. And then they overlap and mm -hmm. interlap. Um, and for me, having like Panache as a young woman, like a young woman in this general, born free, and um, myself as a woman, having women really t talking and claiming history and speaking into history is so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and you spoke about that, that history is a movement, yeah. even on the continent. You know, when I was writing House of Stone, I was unaware of all the other historical fiction that was being written. So um, that's, that was powerful. I, I just thought it was an amazing moment of serendipity. Mm. Who would have thought? Two Who novels. Who would have thought? Not speaking to each other. Mm. Speaking of each other. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Oh my gosh. Such a wonderful accompaniment. Because sometimes you have to wait like a few years before you get another companion so to beautiful. a book. You remind me of Wutulia uh, Zenyati. He runs the National Art Gallery in Zimbabwe who read both books. And he said to me, Panache is a money in a sense, right? Like in search of history, but mm. not in, not in a, not no, but I think, I think to me is Bukosi because that's, that know. makes, yeah, Zamani yeah, is, Zamani is, Zamani is, is, <coughs> is a questionable character on all levels. Yeah. Very questionable. Um, oh. I, I see him as an anti-hero. I don't see him. He's definitely is an anti-hero. He's someone that you like, but you question why you like him. Definitely is an anti-hero. And I can't recommend reading it enough, mm. but let's go on to the next mm. bit because I could just be like gushing about <laughs> this novel until today. So, and, and just say, I really, it was important for me for Zamani to be an anti-hero because mm. in Babu we have this heroes, uh, what, mm. you know, heroes are these unattainable 
perfect figures who uh, have don't have the human in them. So for me, as as a character, he was also response to his environment, right? Mm. An environment that would not see him. Yeah. And oh, and his his character arc, his character arc, because when you get to the end, ah, <laughs> I literally I just slammed my chest and I was like, ah. Okay, so the next section, I asked, <laughs> because I've been talking about very serious subjects, mm. um, memorialization, um, tra- historical trauma, and mm. everything, mm. I asked you to pick a book. I asked you to. <laughs> I asked you to tell us about your guilty read. Your guilty read, which is mm. a book you love but are shy to admit to reading. <laughs> I was in my teens. <laughs> and Nabuyo's <laughs> is books by Daniel Steele <laughs> and she says I used to steal them from my mother who loved them and never you read them secretly yes I am um, go on and I was in my teens and and I mean Danielle Steele you know she has this very fast pace but they love they're all these and they're also you know it never gets too dark about failed marriages and finding love again and being lonely and it's and of course you know when I was a teen I, I loved them but then when I you know, became an adult and learned to be a book snob. <laughs> <laughs> like, what shit. What does that mean, book snob? Shit, what was I reading, man? Yeah, but did you enjoy them? Of course, of course. What was the merits? What, what, no, no, I enjoyed what kept, them. What kept drawing I mean, they back took to into them. this world and the drama, the high arc, the, the pain. You'd feel, you know, I, you, I dream of these characters, Sally with her blonde hair and... You know, her failed marriage, her husband who's cheating, or she's fallen out of love, or she can't have children. And they, they, I mean, she's a master of... Though now I want... I mean, does she have ghostwriters? Because then that takes away the well, fun. Well, we don't know, because she came out this week on Twitter saying she writes for 22 hours a day. Uh-huh. And she has nine <laughs> children. Yeah? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you paired um, Daniel Steele's books mm-hmm. with an album. You didn't do a playlist this time, so yay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you paired it with an album, Music Box by Mariah Carey. <laughs> Why this album? Mariah Carey, I mean, I, did you listen to Mariah Carey growing up? Yeah, but I wasn't really a fan like that. You're not a fan? I, no, I appreciate her mm-hmm. and her... S- I think she's also like Danielle Steele in that respect. Yeah. Woman with a very long, illustrious yeah. career. Oh, I love that. That, to me, mm-hmm. I feel like... I don't... I've, I'm Confession, I've never read any Danielle Steele. Mm-hmm. It just never appealed to me. Mills and Boons was uh-huh. more... <laughs> 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 Why are you coming into the mic? <laughs> so the readers can... can Judge can, me. Can understand where I'm coming from. Mills and Boots was up She was team. judging my Danielle Steele. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I see you, sister I Mills and Boots. We are rocking the same book. No, I mean, I read Mills and Boots too, man. Hey, those oh ones. Oh, my gosh. Those ones were danger. I learned some, I learned vulnerable from there, but I used to call it vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to pick one song from the album Music Box that aligned with, um, with Daniel Steele or your state of mind during the Daniel Steele era. I don't remember. There's some bangers in this album though. Dream lover, won't you? Yeah. That's the one. So Dream Lover. I thought I was the only one who had musical aspirations. To be honest, I used to think I could sing when I was young. You're into like audition.
you'd recommend to readers who want to further explore the themes mm. and topic of House of Stone mm. and the songs or albums I should pair it mm. with? You've picked The Stone Virgins by Yvonne Vera. Mm. I mean, Yvonne Vera is one of Zimbabwe's iconic writers. Her poetry, I mean, her visual, her work is very visual, it's very deeply poetic. It's meditative. It's, it's gorgeous, you know. Um, and so that book, it, it talks about Zimbabwe. It's interesting. It looks at Zimbabwe, um, the period leading up to liberation, and also it looks at the genocide and just a little bit after. So I love that. It, but it's a very different book from House of Stones, different sensibility, and it approaches it from a different perspective. But I, of course, when I was writing the book, she was one of the writers I read to sort of understand what had been done, to also think about what I wanted to do in conversation with what had been done. And I mean, she, she's just a gorgeous writer. Um, I, I highly recommend her. The, so I, once again, <laughs> I asked you to pair it with a song or an album. And you're very, you didn't just give us a playlist of your own book. You <laughs> 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 gave us a playlist. <laughs> <laughs> so the Stone Virgins. Yes. Yes, and you gave us seven songs. Buzz. They are all in the belly. Yes. Oh, are they all in the belly? Songs. Except Bob Marley. Yeah. Really? Because she's from Bulawayo, right? Oh. So and she was but she was she was um she was you know, she was a universal Zimbabwean writer. Just like I'd like to think of myself as a universal Zimbabwean writer. Yes. Um, so which um pick one song from curated the playlist so i'm going to read some of the songs that nobuyo no actually nobuyo please i'm not going to butcher these people's <laughs> very nice names should i list them i beg you please umoyawami love moma jaivana bulawayo sandra ndebele zimbabwe bob marley umkomboti yuvon chaga chaga vulindlela brenda fasi sweetie lavo trompies boza mshoza so there's a mix here again from the old guard to the young hip guido songs of the late 90s early 2000s so I said a song I would choose would be the first one, Umoyawami Love Mama Jaivana. Zimbabwean musician and Moyawami talks about Blawayo, talks about this guy who's missing home, is missing Blawayo, which is the smoky city. Because Blawayo was, was Zimbabwe's industrial hub before things went to shit. We're now dead city. But yeah, so it it's talks about missing the city, the beauty of the city. And Yvonne Vera Stone Virgins opens with Selborne Avenue, the street in the center of Blawayo, and she takes you through it, you walk through it. You smell the air, you see the road, you can see the road, you can see the leaves, the trees. It's beautiful. So I, I liked that. Going back to your conversation at the beginning where you mentioned Ukurahundi um, to your mother yes. and she froze. Were you able to broach that conversation with her afterwards or was that where it ended? It's so fascinating, um, Sarah. She heard me talking on BBC Woman's Hour after the book was published last July about her and that moment. And I and I wondered if it was because I was in London. She was just so excited, and I thought she I was nervous. And she called me, and she was like, oh, "I'm proud of you." And then she spoke to me. It's like, oh, you know, it's just during that time. It was just, 
growing up right after the genocide and for a long time in Zimbabwe, she said it was just dangerous to talk about the genocide, right? It felt like danger. And she told me some of the stuff, especially about my grandfather. We haven't gotten to talking properly about her, her proper, but I know during the genocide, she, she fled her and my mother and they, sh- and they were refugees in neighboring Botswana during that time. Mm. Um, so we have not had the, and, and I really don't know if I can, and maybe my book is just over here having that conversation. I think it's difficult when it's someone who's close to you to try and broach the conversations. Mm. So um, I've, I, have ne- I haven't pressed her since, but I'm willing. Whenever she's willing to share, I take in. Mm. And so that was the first time after that conversation where she opened up. Has she read your novel? No. I, 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 <laughs> I've purposefully kept it away from her. I am so nervous. Why? <sighs> it's just a difficult sort of work and i know i don't know books and rhymes it's it's i think it's that thing that chimamanda spoke about when i when she was writing i think purple biscuits or is it half real like don't think of your family when you're writing the book and for me it's i think the thought of my family reading the book of my mother reading the book makes me nervous because she will maybe this is me novi or not her daughter but novi an artist and there's some very difficult places this work goes to Mm. and i don't know how she will respond i wonder if it's triggering i wonder if and then, to be honest, because, you know, <laughs> have I don't know if, if I'm ready to have that conversation with her, if I'm honest. Do you mind if I ask why? I, I'm afraid maybe of it. Um, um, and I think f- based from that very first time she had that reaction, I, I wonder if it would what it would trigger in her, and I don't want to hurt her, or I really don't want to hurt her, and maybe experience that hurt with her I, I you know I don't know if it'd be cathartic or if it'd be wounding to be honest right it would be different if it was in a therapy session I'm no therapist right mm. um and it's interesting I say this because it's it this only hits home when it's someone you know and who's close to you that it really sort of hits you I have a friend um well I say friend someone I met who has talked in Dallas a Zimbabwean who told me that her sister um, or said she, she refused to read the book when she heard what it was about. She, and she saw some of the passages like, oh, okay, I, went, I, don't want, I don't need to read it, you know, from home. So it's those little reactions where, mm. you know. This reminds me of um, Chimamanda's Half of a Yellow Sun. Mm-hmm. Because Half of a Yellow Sun, um, it's about this Biafran, mm. the Ni- Nigeria's first civil war, yeah. also known as the Biafran War. Mm. And... It's still not being discussed in mm. Nigeria at the moment. Mm. Um, I think it is only recently that there are concerted efforts to bring it to national consciousness. People, people Same know thing with Kukuraundi. Yeah, mm. they know about it. They know it exists. Mm. Everyone knows what Biafra is, mm. but no one talks about it mm. or no one wants to, to address mm. it. Mm. Um, I feel like people have suppressed it to their memory. Mm. And I wonder if this suppression is due to the lack of proper infrastructure. I was thinking this, oh my God, see, you are not, this is why we're (laughs) friends. No, I was thinking this exactly as you were talking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's because there are no clear, when I say infrastructure, I mean, you know, the right tools in place. Yes. To help people process, not just process. That is very important. To overcome it. It's one thing to remember, it's another thing to address address and deal with the pain and trauma that's remembering triggers. And so you see, and, and this is interesting, that's why for me, Zamani, 
it's 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 not even about a benego and egg. It's not just about them not wanting to. It's the environment in which they're remembering. Mm. It's the sinister landscape where the past has been weaponized. It's a place of heroes and sellouts and traitors. So it's that space for me, even Zimbabwean, it's just not ready to receive the infrastructure for, for people to... to to work through that, I mean, there was a Catholic Church commission to the genocide in the 90s and nothing was done. And the commission was the most most beautiful. They didn't even focus on the perpetrators. They're like, we just want to focus on the victims and the help. They nothing was done. But, of course, because you can't deal with that period without s- trying to figure out who, when, where, yeah, how. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Because someone has to take ac- accountability yeah. for what happens. Yeah. And if the person who is responsible is one commissioning the report yeah. or commissioning the work... How much responsibility are they willing to take? Just describe Zimbabwe, but it's important. I don't think it's it's peculiar to Zimbabwe. I think think House of Stone is a novel. It's it's a lot of countries' novels. That is, thank you. That is beautiful. You remind me of a a book club in Kenya that was reading this book. Then it's like, oh, it reminds me. It it always reminds us of our history in Kenya. And then the person said one interesting thing: Zamani means the past in Swahili. I did not know that. Mm. That is just serendipity as well. Yeah, the way you personalized memory, even mm-hmm. though that was not the intention, and I'm not trying to even write a question, mm-hmm. was just wonderful um, to see in this novel. And I felt like as a reader, mm-hmm. I started, you started me on this journey, mm-hmm. and then you took me somewhere totally different, unexpected. And the thing as well that I would say to uh, the listeners who are looking to read this book, it is not a linear text. Yeah. It is not linear. It's an ad- it's It's... A reading adventure. The novel is not adventurous, but the reading of it is an adventure. And you're stretching yourself. Thank you. You know, whilst reading this. Mm. Speaking of um, reading adventure, Mm. I ask you to select a light read. (laughs) A light and a little dance. Um, A light, fun read to readers. And Pair it with a song or an album, and you picked my sister, so the serial killer. killer. I mean, I love this book because it's like it's a light literary read. So it's it's got the it's a thriller. I think of it as a literary thriller. I think of it as a literary thriller. If you think of Tom Ripley, the talented Mr. Ripley, Patricia Highsmith, one of my favorites. A beautiful book. It's also a literary psychological literary thriller. So I love the merging of the genres, but also how it still keeps that lovely flavor where it's just, you're turning the page and like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, and I love that she had the guts to do that. Um, and I mean, My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyekon Braithwaite. Yeah. First of all, House of Stone and My Sister the Serial Killer are published by the same publishers. In we the have UK. the same editor. No. Yep. Same editor, James. Was that why you picked this book? Like just to like big up your publisher? Is that why you picked this book? Man, I no offense. (laughs) I like my publishers, but they're white. I have no fealty, (laughs) baby. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's history. It's beyond us. It's beyond us. But I love my publishers. But nah, I I have no. um, um, I'm a colonial (laughs) subject, and I'm very much aware of that. But yeah. So what? What was your reaction when you read House of Stone? What was your reaction to it? Oh, my sister! When I read my sister's, yeah. I, I loved it. I it's it's, I I was it's doing something. It's doing a, it's it's bold for me because it's breaking out of um the drudged Africa novel. Mm. It's edgy. It's fast, and it's got this this delicious female characters. Um, and it's it's just it's unpretentious, right? Um, and then it's also literary, right? Mm. It's it's also very much. What do you mean by literary? I mean it it it's it's. 
and I don't mean to I, I you know I read genre fiction growing up it's great fiction um so again think of the talented Mr. Ripley it, it has wisdom and I mean that in a very positive sense um I think the way it makes us think about women, um, the idea of, of feminism, um, and that sort of thing, and the way Lagos as a city is portrayed here, um, it's it's not a. F it's it does that make sense? You know, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's because the thing that there's a the connection between House of Stone and Mice is that a serial killer mm. is the is the quote unquote authenticity of both novels. Mm. When I read House of Stone, I was very clear that I was not the primary audience mm. of House of Stone. Mm. But it did not alienate me from reading House of Stone. In fact, it drew me into oh. the story more. Um, my study serial killer, I'm Nigerian. Niger. <laughs> I'm a bona fide Niger. What do they call them? Honorary Niger. Honor yeah. But I'm not from Lagos. <coughs> and oh. this, I'm not. I'm from Benin City. Now, this novel was so it has such a... It's so flavoursome and so flavorful and so Nigerian. Even the dialogue is just so... If you've watched any Nollywood film, <laughs> I think it's literally Nollywood. You know? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's just so... Everything you love about Nollywood is in this... It's edgy. It's like serial killer. Mm. It's sassy. It's witty. It's, it's yes, intelligent. It's intelligent. It is... It's it wise. Is, it's emotionally... It is, um, <coughs> it is morally... It's uh, questionable. Mm -hmm. You find yourself rooting for someone you don't want to root for, and you're in a quandary and a quagmire with this book. Mm. And the same with, like I said, with House of Stone. I was mm. like, mm, I'm, I, I want to like Abednego, but mm. I don't want to like Zamani, but mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mm. 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 So the book. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've described you this book perfectly. You huh? have an interesting song connection. With my serial killer, mm -hmm. you pair the book with the season one soundtrack of the Empire. Empire, Empire season one was the bomb. I mean, it was remember. the only season to watch. Exactly, but it so that's why I specif specified season one. But that was the bomb. It was the beginning of something beautiful brewing. Um, family Dynasty, Black American Family Dynasty it was exciting. There was some 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 deep wonderful shit going on there. Great music. So I so I, I paired the two because that's one of my Season one, specifically, <laughs> is one, <laughs> is one of my favorite sort of black shows, and it has a music soundtrack. I mean, the the other show would be M would would be Power, but there's no soundtrack to that. Yeah, right? Power is dope. Yeah, so this I love this because right after I watching the season, I went to I have this I went to look for the soundtrack and I listened to it, and I'm you know, so <laughs> so that's why. So pick one song from the album. Okay. The Empire Season One Deluxe soundtrack, because you were very clear. The Deluxe soundtrack, one song to go with. Keep it moving, keep it moving. Number four, keep it moving, baby. Don't be laughing. I drive you insane, insane Got me in here, what you gonna do with it? No, I need a man yeah. like an aim, let's get it Get a little trigger, have yeah. you get it? Yeah. Get a little trigger, have you yeah. get it? Every time I show her my maneuver She brag about the way I give it to her So yeah, so keep it moving Cause Ayola keeps it moving Do you know the funny thing was mm -hmm. My sister, the serial killer mm. Is 
episode three of Books and Runs podcast. So oh. I interviewed Onikam Braithwaite. <laughs> and just like how we're just cackling in <laughs> this episode, uh-huh. that's how she and I were just cackling oh throughout her episode. And oh she's just so wonderful, so lovely. Great vibes. I, I, I met her um, here last year. And then it was so great. We had lunch. And by then, both our books were just uh, almost coming. Mine had just come out. Hers was coming out. And it was great just chatting with her. She's so nice. Pleasant. So just, yeah. And uh, speaking of, you both your books have done so well. She's been shortlisted for the Women's Prize. Um, Yeah. And you're winning awards and awards. I mean, it's breaking bounds. And I think even beyond the Women's Prize, I think commercially, I think it's a book that's done well. It's like everywhere. Rightfully so. Um, Yeah. And I love how it bridges those boundaries, right? It's it's it, it's. So speaking of awards, what mm. is the most like? How when you're writing this book, how did you expect to? Seeing as we've talked a mm-hmm. lot about mm-hmm. the subject matter, mm-hmm. and I and I presume that there would have been some anxieties. Oh yes, yes. With regards to the publication of the book, yes, and not just how your parents would receive the book. Yes. Seeing as you just you still have not allowed <laughs> them to read the book. Yeah, you yeah. know. But then it's also how other people would receive, receive the, the book. book. Um, how are you responding to the reception so far? Because, yeah. So what has been the positive reception that surprised you and the negative one that, that surprised, surprised you? I was just nervous about home, for one, because it is a book that talks to home. And I want, and for me, I'm trying to, and it's sad that it's not available at home and even at an affordable price. We don't have a proper, we don't have a formal currency right now in Zimbabwe, so it's just messed up. I really wanted to have a conversation with home, not like, um, to go beyond, I'm, I'm not trying to show people themselves. I think that's been done by the previous generation. It's great. I really wanted to have like a serious, even if I offend you, I want us to talk home. So I was nervous about how it will be received. And then I will tell you here, I didn't expect much in the West, as we call it, uh, particularly in the USA, um, because I was... N- <laughs> when we found we had a hard time finding a publisher in the UK or Zimbabwe in both places um, really? and it was yeah well and and the the thing in that kept recurring in especially because we tried to look for a USA publisher first was this book is ambitious but it's Zimbabwe it's going to be a difficult pick for Americans um, I had an editor who tried to make me add an American character in the book who's a man who'd be telling the history of Zimbabwe what? to yeah, it was so. Access- it was so. I- it's as if its ambition became a crux, uh, like a, a crutch, and it's like, oh, the story's too difficult. And I don't know what that meant, and like Americans won't be able to understand what's happening. So in me, so I, <laughs> so uh, that was my going in. I had this complex because I was like, okay, the book will come out, and because it's a hard read, it won't really be read. People won't understand what's happening. Oh well, and of course, I had my pride because I'm like. <sighs> Because this, you know, we spoke about how the genesis of this. So mm. you can see from where I started, it would have really have been a betrayal, and I think cowardly to bastardize the project at the very mm. end, right? You work mm. some on something for six years; it means something to you as an artist, mm. and you want. And this, for me, is a book for Zimbabwe. But in the same way, books like the Tindrum, for Germany, yet so universal. That book has read universally, or Nabokov, or mm. Half of Yellow Sun, which has done brilliantly, or any other. Think of mm. yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was naive. I was really young, and I thought I was. You know, you think of yourself as being equal <laughs> as a writer. I felt really hurt to to think that where I'm from will become an impediment in the writing. So I was sh- pleasantly surprised. Um, and this speaks to the market. The market, which is to say, the speculation doesn't always get it right. And you, you we kn- and then in history, it's full of that, right? Mm. Tony Morrison's first book that was ignored. Mm-hmm. Over James Baldwin himself had a hard time starting. Like, there's so many writers in the history of the world who have gone through that. It's not even anything new. We just don't know about it because we just see hype, hype, hype. So, for me, just... 
um, the way it was received. Then Helen's review. So because, you know, Helen's reviews in the past have, have been controversial. Again, when I heard he was, I'm like, shit. Another one that you're When I heard he was <laughs> reviewing, I'm like, my God, finish. <laughs> what is it about Nigerians and, and scaring you with the book reviews? Because you guys take your, st- <laughs> your stuff seriously, which is amazing. So that review really up- it, it was uplifting for me. Um, and then just this ye- this ye- season where it's being nominated for awards, I didn't expect mm. that. So it's been v- sort of validating. Um, but it's been, v- I, I want to say it's very important not to take that val- that validation to heart. I don't know how to explain it. The, the writing of a book and its reception, it's very important. Um, but a book's value comes with time. And I say that because... You know, when you enter some of these spaces that you, that you discover very wide, it's very uncomfortable as a black author, and sometimes it feels performative. I don't know how else to explain that, um, and unpleasant. So being in such spaces has made me appreciate uh, some of the frivolity of some of these ceremony, ceremonial things around mm. books. Mm. And then you think of things that conversation's gone a lot, but they ignore. <laughs> it's all very subjective. So y- I'm thinking of myself as a person from Zimbabwe in the international scene and sort of how to navigate that and being aware that not everyone who reads you will understand where you're coming from, which is fine. And understanding that the value in the book is in itself very difficult if you're a first-time writer because you... you Sarah, I cannot explain. I was new to this no, world. I'm listening, I'm listening. So editors for me were... the go- You know, it's gospel. Yeah. You hear someone saying this and then you believe it. That's how yeah. I just took it yeah. in. So I'm happy to have had different feedback from different people and have people like you... Helen Tizitangaramba wrote this lovely yeah. tweet and she's given the book a blurb. You know, Nervous Conditions is one of the seminal books. So it, it lets me know that the book will find its spaces. Mm-hmm. Viet Tanguyen, uh, the Vietnamese-American and writer. And also, didn't Ye Yun Lee also Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I love Ye Yun Lee. I love oh Ye Yun Lee. Okay, I almost a fainted. Thousand, a Thousand Years of Good Prayers oh is my one God. of my favorite books ever. I knew, I knew. Okay, dear listeners, this episode <laughs> has been recorded at um, the Ad- Year's Publishers Atlantic office offices in their boardroom. <laughs> We're surrounded by books and also you listen to Holborn traffic going around. <laughs> so if you hear some random noises and if you hear us laughing, it's because London is, is inserting itself into the conversation. But you're talking about Yi Yun Lee, a I thousand mean, years I of good I prayers. I respect her so much. the endorsement of the book. And I didn't know, yeah, they hadn't told me who. They're like, someone recommended your book for Vanity Fair. I didn't know who. And I saw it was Yi Yun Lee. I'm like, oh my God. Um, so just, I think, have, knowing that um, reading is a diverse experience um, and every and books can find their place. It has been heartwarming. I, it's been so positive. What would you be, what would be your advice to aspiring writers? So seeing as you've gone through the process mm-hmm. and you are where you are now, mm-hmm. and this is, even though this is like your novel mm-hmm. that we know in the West, it's not your first novel. Yeah, it's not my first book. It's not your first I have book, a collection. I yeah, it's, yeah. Book, they, it's treated like it's my first. Yeah, it's so my debut novel, not my debut not book. Y- yeah, it's not your debut book. So, as someone who has had a book mm-hmm. in the market, mm. and now you have a very successful book in the market, mm. what would be your advice to budding writers or aspiring authors? I know it's hard to hear this when you're starting because I am. Sh- I think I've heard this before, but it write whatever the fuck you want to write. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> As in, be bold. Um, it's the and I and I'm talking here. House of Stone. Um, these bones will rise again. My sister, the serial killer. These are bold books. These are books mm. that are just doing their own thing. Um, 
um, Stay With Me, you know, these young Emmanuel Dumas. Oh my uh, gosh, Stranger's uh, Pose. Stranger's Pose. A people, A Stranger's Pose. Mm. A Stranger's Pose. Yes, a stranger's that pose is. I by mean, Emmanuel Iduma. He's My so brilliant. God, he's doing things that no one else is doing. Oh, that's that's that criticism. I, in oh, I said bookgasm, but that gives you serious bookgasm, man. You, you see, whew. he's he's amazing, and he's come. It's not his first book as well. That growth. But really, for young writers, it's difficult. It's patience, and also write whatever the fuck you want to write. The to be honest, and I've because I. Because these are the two published books, I have tried to write various things before. Trying to write s- what you think someone wants you to write never works out. I'm sorry mm. to say it, it will it will come through in the work. It's mm. so if that's the best advice, confidence. Um, write what you want to write, and also you are your best sort of um, judge judge of your work. So work mm. personal excellence. Okay. Mm. I hope that helps. Yeah, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Mm-hmm. Close us with a song. I didn't say sing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say sing. Because <laughs> Navi was getting oh. ready to belt out a tune. <clears throat> One song that you is just, that song just gets you. And this is a song I was listening to and I was coming. So it's called, cr- it's, and it's there on, sp- on, it should be there on Spotify. Songs of the Motherland. Mm. Cries of the Motherland, sorry, by Cairo. Cairo? C C A. Oh, like Egypt? No, no. C A double I. Double I. R O. Cries of the Motherland. You probably will. You, it's it's sung in Zulu, but from the music you'll be able. It's got the drums. It's got the beautiful drums, and you will hear it. Books and Rhymes was singing. I'm sure singing in Zulu when we started. Gorgeous stuff. This is cosmopolitan, <laughs> so you can listen to cri- wherever you are in the world. You will you will feel the vibe. Navio, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for just being wonderfully you. Not thank just you. writing your amazing book, but just being so wonderfully warm, open, personable, and a dream. Thank you, my love. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Have fun with you, having fun with you all the time. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and subscribe, rate and review Books and Rhymes on iTunes and your favorite podcast listening platforms. Tell your friends about the podcast and continue the conversation by following at Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Have a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic week. Until next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 